Hello and welcome to Chilenial Horrors Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the horror movies of the noughties, from J-horror remakes to haunted house movies to found footage movies, torture porn, splat pack. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about ghost stories. And we're actually cheating a little bit by going back to 1999 again, which I think if anyone's been listening to the podcast regularly will have noticed that we're doing that quite a lot. But to be fair, you know, that does, it's the year before the noughties and it's very important to look at what the lead in was. Um, and this, yeah, on this episode, we're going to be looking at one of, I think, the best known horror movies or like one of the best known ghost stories kind of ever. And yeah, we're looking at three pretty distinct but interestingly clustered ghost stories. We're going to be looking at The Sixth Sense, Stare of Echoes and The Others. I guess starting with The Sixth Sense... What are your, what's your first memory of watching that movie? So I watched The Sixth Sense uh, at home with my sister, who's younger than me, but for some reason had seen the film before I had. And I think about, I don't know, half an hour in, I turned to her and went, so Bruce Willis is dead then? And she goes, no, no, that's not right. And then I was like, oh, okay, you must be right. You've seen it before. <laughs> and then got to the end and was shocked all over again. <laughs> Mostly that my sister is a liar. <laughs> yeah, how about you? I think I watched it um, with some friends from school, but I, yeah, I had no idea about the twist. The twist completely floored me. Like, I definitely wasn't a canny enough horror reviewer <laughs> at that point to notice something as colossal as that. I haven't actually, I hadn't seen it since, I, I, I think I had seen it at least twice. I, I think I saw it um, again quite quickly after the first time I watched it to go back with other people and be like, oh, like, oh mm. let's look at how it was done. But I hadn't seen it in probably about 15 years or something until we watched it for this episode. And I was I was really interested to see like is there anything more to it beyond the, the cleverness of the twist? And yeah. you know what I thought there was. I really enjoyed it a lot more than I was. I was, I was worried I'd just be sitting there going like, oh, this is so obvious, and the rest of it's not very good. But actually, like I still found it. Um, I found bits of it really scary, and I found a lot mm. of it really moving. Yeah, how did you get on with it when you watched it again? Yeah, I think I do think that knowing the ending does ruin it to some extent. In the same way, like knowing the ending of Psycho ruins that a little bit. Mm. Um, but so just to recap, so the the plot of the Sixth Sense is that Bruce Willis plays a child psychiatrist, psychologist, who has had um, one of his sort of past mistakes: a child who he couldn't help uh, break into his house and attack him. Um, and he's very haunted by this and by this idea that he didn't help this kid. So when he comes across another child who reminds him of that kid, he is obviously desperate to help him and kind of put right the mistakes of the past. However, turns out that this this new child um, sees dead people and uh, everywhere he goes, he's seeing ghosts. Obviously, Bruce Willis. Uh, I'm not even using character names. <laughs> I don't remember what his name is. Um, the name is Doctor Malcolm Crow. Doctor Malcolm Crow. Okay, that's lovely. Okay, I'll try and try and call him Doctor Crow. Um, yeah. So he he doesn't really believe the kid that he's seeing ghosts and thinks it's a big psychological thing. But uh, shocking twist, he is a ghost. <laughs> he was a ghost all along. Um, I think for me, the thing that was the giveaway. I can't remember how I learned to kind of look for this so early in horror films but is that he when he talks to people they don't respond um mm. and i feel like there was like a glut of films where people were ghosts or people were figments of the imagination yeah and if, uh, maybe it was like fight club or something that i'd uh, maybe i'd seen that oh yeah fight club maybe that's it because yeah i think i remember this being a big part of my education for what to look for to check if mm. someone's actually dead <laughs> I think, or like or not there and fight club's definitely another one where like they might not be interacting with uh, people, or mm. I think the other one was um, there's a Buffy episode I think like seventh season where you're supposed to think that Giles might might actually be um, yes, evil. and you're looking for him to pick things up because he might be uh, an incarnation of the first evil. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. And then it's, it's like it turns out that he's actually still Giles, and it's just like I didn't like what, like wait, I just didn't touch. You didn't see me touching anything, so you thought I was dead. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Yeah, this was definitely. Like an educational ghost story for me in a lot of ways, I think. And it's so obvious when you know it, like when you're looking for it, when there's like no one, I think especially the scene where he goes, um, he meets Olivia Williams, his wife for dinner. Yeah. I think knowing that she doesn't see him, it's like almost painfully <laughs> kind of obvious, it but I really didn't even is. question it the first time. I was just sort of like, oh, but it's not getting Well, I think because you're supposed to think, yeah, they've had an argument and they're not, because he's even kind of confiding in the kid that like, his, his wife doesn't talk to him anymore or something. Like, how long did you manage to go with her not responding to you at all before you were like, hold up? 
Well, it's a year later, isn't it? It's like yeah. the next, yeah. <laughs> How? How does that happen? Um, but but I do think it's it's really well kind of crafted, apart from those few scenes that slightly, yeah, maybe give the game away. But like, there's a really nice um, motif of red things throughout mm. the film. So yeah, whenever there's something red, that means there's there's a ghost around, <laughs> which is really odd. Like yeah, every time you see um, Olivia Williams, she's always wearing red, and yeah, there's the red doorknob and all, all these little things. I just think I don't know. I'm a sucker for stuff like that. I mean, I love Riverdale, so <laughs> any kind of like quite obvious, but like just just nice little stylish touches. I'm I'm there. I love the um the breath the cult like you could see your breath when because the temperature drops and there's a ghost around so things like him checking the thermostat when he's in yes. all the stuff like when Haley Joel Osment as Cole Sear he's a little boy who sees ghosts yeah living in a small apartment with his mum played by Tony Collette and there's just a lot of very well directed creepy scenes where um like he wakes up in the night and notices that it's suddenly got very cold and I think that's one of the things that I think it does really well is putting you kind of in in his kind of um yeah in his kind of perspective and making you feel afraid for him because mm. some of those ghosts are really like yeah really kind of creepy and upsetting um like the the thing it's a teenage boy he sees in his apartment it's like i can show you where my dad keeps his gun and he's gonna take the back yeah, of his head yeah and then turns yeah. around oh <laughs> yeah that's horrible the, the number of dead children in this film is really upsetting yeah there's a lot yeah misha barton and yeah misha barton's like being the main kind of uh storyline that kind of like shows him how he can use his powers for good as it mm. were rather than just being haunted by it all the time um is that yeah this this little girl ghost keeps appearing to him and he kind of listens to her and goes into her home when it's i think it's in her in the middle of her funeral isn't yeah it's it? the wake um, yeah yeah and 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 goes under her bed and finds a videotape that she'd had playing that she managed to record her mum poisoning her because her mum has munchausen's by proxy and it's so distressing. Mm. Like, it's scary because there's a ghost. And it's scary because there's a mum who's a murderer. And I, I don't know whether the... I think this is a is a sort of 2021 Sarah feeling about this film. But, like, watching that scene unfold where you're in the middle of a funeral, which is, like, hard enough, like a child's funeral. And then this other random child wanders <laughs> in and hands her father a videotape, which he then plays, like, in front of everyone... Which shows that his grieving wife is actually a murderer. And you're like, that guy is going to need some serious amount of therapy. Like, he's <laughs> fucked. <laughs> it's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. It's, um, I think, like, other than, like, there's a, there's a slight schmaltziness to the tone of this film, which yeah. is, is, is a weird thing to say about it, I feel like. But it's, it's almost, like, Spielbergian, that, like, that at its heart, it's about a man who just wants to help a troubled boy and, you know in the end he's gonna help him <laughs> yeah definitely i think um i was watching it with my girlfriend who hadn't, hadn't seen it for a while as well and i think she pointed out there's a lot of kind of uh yeah mum kind of bit mum and wife issues in it which does feel very spielbergy and yeah mm. with hayley Osment's character a lot of it is just that he wants to he's, he's trying to connect with his mum because his mum wants to help him and doesn't know how and he doesn't know how to tell his mum what he's going through and that felt like that again i think a lot of <laughs> a lot of my responses to films at the moment are really dictated by kind of um yeah how hard and horrible everything is at the moment but oh my god that <laughs> got me so yeah yeah i got got very emotional kind of in the scenes with tony collette where she's just trying to kind of, they're trying just trying to talk to each other and she's so so good yeah and he won't lie to her because yeah you know she the ghosts are doing things like opening the kitchen cabinets mm. or stealing a necklace out of her drawer and she's just like, just tell me that you did it. Just stop lying to me. And he he can't. He actually won't lie to her and say that he did it. He just keeps saying no. The ghost did it. And it's just, yeah. Like I normally, I would say I, on the whole, I don't like films with children as the main characters because I'm just not that interested in children. But um, <laughs> maybe these three films are going to be the exception to that. I do think you know this is the one that Haley Joel Osment became like massively famous for, and it, and then and particularly for that that scene where he confesses yeah. to the doctor. He's so good in it. You know, like it's not just like a. a of a sweet child actor performance like he's such like a little man in that film like he's you can like yeah you really feel like his loneliness in it and complete isolation and when he gets frustrated as well like um that scene where he starts shouting at the teacher because the teacher's kind of um staring at him and he gets uncomfortable yes. it's just like he really just like nails that performance yeah you can kind of see why so he he was like the huge thing that came out of it rather than 
like people going, oh, Bruce Willis is really good in this film. Like no one lives from him being dead. <laughs> Bruce Willis was well established by this point, right? Yeah. I feel like it was quite a dramatic kind of role for him. I feel like it's... Yeah. No, he's not an action hero in no, this No, he one. does a lot of whispering and wears a lot of like sweat clothes. Mm. There's one bit I noticed, and it's just, this is, I think I wouldn't have noticed this if I hadn't kind of been thinking about how bored Bruce Willis looks in like every film now. And it's like annoyed to be there. There's a bit near the end where mm. he smiles. And it's like the sun coming out. <laughs> like, oh my it's god! Just, it's it was it's when he's watching Haley Jasmine at the end do his play, and he just grins because he's so happy for him. I, was like, I can't remember the last time I saw a Bruce Willis smile that wasn't like smirking. It was just pure yeah. and like, I was like oh wow, look at Bruce Willis there. <laughs> this is so sad. What's happened to Bruce Willis? Mm. Why is he so sad now and angry and scary? <laughs> I, I think um, while we're on the, the point of the cast, the kid who is in the the bathroom who breaks into his house and, and kills him, I would not have recognised that actor <laughs> in a million years. Like, I had to look up, because I noticed, on, obviously noticed on the credits that Donnie Wahlberg is in this film. I was like, I don't remember Donnie Wahlberg in this film. He must just be like, I don't know, a cop or something. <laughs> and no, he's the, like, emaciated, weeping child. I, I never in a million years would have recognised him. Yeah, and then, like, in the decade to come, he would be playing pretty much exclusively cops, but <laughs> in horror <laughs> movies. But it's pretty startling, in it? Like, he's... I feel like it's a good performance. Like, it's very big. I mean, I was reading about it and all the kind of, like... He lost, like, 40 pounds or something to do this. And... and um, it was his like he wanted to play it naked because he, he thought he should be even more vulnerable and they had to kind of compromise and go yeah but we kind of don't want to make this film a, I don't know R-rated or whatever it would be in America so you need to put some pants on <laughs> but, but like yeah like but this uh, obviously it's a pivotal scene um, but it's quite short yeah, <laughs> yeah. like you went through months and months of like really kind of torturing yourself to do this it's about like a minute and a half, like two minutes, maybe. It's so short. I just sort of think, well, you probably could have just hired a skinny child <laughs> to begin with. But sure. I do remember that scaring the crap out of me as a kid. That scene. Mm-hmm. I think that, and that's one of the scenes I remembered really vividly from when I was thinking about watching it again. It's like I remember uh, Misha Barton doing a sick in like a scary sick. Yeah. And um, yeah, obviously like the big icy dead people bit. And I remembered Donnie Wahlberg in the bathroom being scary a lot of it's kind of quite like simply kind of there's kind of a fairly consistent kind of um a bit of exposition kind of character stuff and then like a mm-hmm. jump or like a scare like there's the kind of the procession of ghosts is pretty consistent um i was there were quite a few that i'd forgotten about um but i quite enjoyed like how many like sp- spooky people pop up yeah there's like, like the the hanging guys, hanging guys on are the great. stairs yeah. they're really creepy oh, i think the bit that's the most disturbing is when um He's at a, the party and the other kids like lock him in a scary little room. What even is that scary room? Why do you have a scary room in your house? But um, <laughs> like they lock him in a scary cupboard <laughs> and he's trapped in there and Tony Collette has to kind of go and shove the kids out of the way and pull him out. And yeah, it's just so horrible, that idea that these kids are just incredibly cruel for no reason. Yeah, the other kids in this film are awful. They treat him really badly and they're really mean. I think a lot of the other characters are pretty, like, I know actually... No, I'll take that back. The teacher turned... There's a nice kind of bit with the teacher realising that he's been a bit of a shit and should be nicer to the kid who's having a hard time. Mm. And yeah, Tony Collette's a saint. Olivia Williams is kind of a saint as well. It's just, I think... Yeah, I was surprised by how emotionally affecting it still was, even though Mm. there was a part of me that was just like, oh, the twist's really obvious. (laughs) But I guess you don't just always go to a film for the plot in that way. You kind of... there There are other things you can get out of it. I was surprised by how much I was still in, like basically 90% invested in uh, Cole, the kid, like mm. his journey. I think, I don't think it was just that um, that I knew the twist was coming. I think the Bruce Willis stuff feels kind of less interesting. Maybe it's because you know that the resolution is him just leaving or like realising that he's dead. Yeah. Um, like him, him trying to connect, like him talking to Cole is still like emotionally engaging. But I think I was, in, I was really interested like how powerful i found like all the the kids stuff and the ending like it i didn't i just found i did find that a bit schmaltzy but i guess mm. it's because you know it's coming yeah but i mean where else are you gonna go with this i suppose yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know this film is famous for its twist i think it, that's what it's remembered for and so it's really hard to go into this cold but like it still works like a lot of it like the yeah. scary bits are still quite scary 
it's not super scary horror. Like I would recommend this to people who are wimps, but <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's and it's almost like a family friendly one. Like I don't, I, I remember seeing yeah. it when I was quite young and it scared me, but it didn't scar me. It was just sort of yeah, probably not going to give you nightmares. No, and it's, yeah, like like you said, it is um, impressive how well it works. Like there's there's enough, there's more than enough going on beyond the twist to kind of keep it going definitely it definitely feels like uh, a very a film of a very different caliber to a lot of the horror films that we get now just possibly even just in terms of budget mm. like it it feels I, th- I was gonna say it feels very solid it does feel like a really sort of solidly made film like it's very crafted <laughs> making it sound like carpentry but like that it feels really well put together yeah and I think like it, yeah the cinematography is really lovely um, there's like a very strong cast um, and yeah, there's something very reassuring about being Bruce Willis, kind of like mm. you've got like a big A-lister kind of, even though it's kind of genre like there's definitely this big star, so you know, like it's legit. And I think I was also struck by, I know like he loves Philadelphia, M. Night Shyamalan, um, and basically all of his films are set there, but it really feels like it does add something to it. This one, there's lots of beautiful shots of like uh, Philadelphia architecture and that, lo- that lovely church. And it's kind of big, um, kind of old like East Coast, um, expensive buildings. <laughs> Um, yeah it really did give it like a yeah like it, it feels like a definitely feels like a studio movie that is not the segue that i thought we were going to do but does actually work in terms of what i want to talk about with stir of echoes to some extent <laughs> so um stir of echoes came out about a month after the sixth sense back in 1999 and it is sort of similar ish in concept in that it's about a a father and a son who turn out to be able to see dead people <laughs> Um, so Kevin Bacon plays this very manly, manly man who, uh, agrees to be hypnotized at a party and as a result, uh, has his mind opened to other realms and, uh, yeah, it finds that he's able to, in a limited way, see the ghost of a girl in his house. Meanwhile, his son is busy chatting to her day in, day out, <laughs> can see her all the time. Uh, and, and they end up, yeah, trying to solve the mystery of her murder. Yeah, so the reason why that that connected for me is that it's set in Chicago and they're very, very kind of insistent about Mm. it being set in Chicago. It's based on a Richard Matheson novel, which I think maybe is not set specifically anywhere. I feel like Chicago and possibly Detroit are where so many horror movies end up being set around this sort of time, even even through to today. But certainly, like, it makes me think of Candyman Mm. and all those other things that, like, it's this sort of decaying industrial town where anything can happen yeah definitely i i really liked that about actually i'd I'd forgotten how insistently it was chicago and also that whole all that stuff about um yeah the kind of living in these big houses that are owned by Mm. people who are kind of buying them but can't afford to keep them up so like the people who are renting them have to do all this work on them and as well all this like kind of yeah people pushing out into these kind of like buying these cheap houses kind of pushing into neighborhoods where they Mm. maybe shouldn't like yeah objectifying them but can barely afford to keep themselves afloat on this kind of salary, like rattling around these huge houses that they can't look after. This the Philadelphia of the Sixth Sense feels like historic and clean and crisp in the autumn weather. Yes. And Chicago of Stir of Echoes feels claustrophobic, dark, cold, and then sweaty. Yeah. And watching them kind of very close together was quite an interesting contrast, just like in terms of what they're doing with their setting. I think maybe watching Stereo of Echoes now, sort of very specifically this week, it just hit me a lot harder than it did the last time I watched it. So this isn't one that I watched at the time at all. I only watched this for the first time a few years ago and I mainly just remember rolling my eyes and going, well, it's not scary and it's basically just The Shining. So it's interesting to watch it this time and be like, actually, um, it's doing a lot more than that. It's doing, it, it, it definitely is doing The Shining. It definitely lifts a lot from The Shining. I mean, it's based on a novel, but it might as well also be based on The Shining. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think didn't even say like he's a light. He's kind of, he's like a flashlight and his is much brighter than yours or something. Yes, yep, they really do. There's a person that they go, that, they, that the mum meets by accident who spots the kid and goes, oh, oh, your, your boy's got the, not The Shining, but something very similar. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, we, won't, we won't call The Shining for legal reasons. Yeah, it's so, it's so weird to me that like, that they they took a novel that existed and then just went yeah but what if we shove the shining into it because yeah in the in the book they can like read people's thoughts and that's how they solve the mystery mm. um uh but yeah in this one they just uh 
see a bit of ghosts. I don't think there's any any mind reading. There's just premonitions and ghosts. Yeah, a lot of premonitions. I was thinking about how there's a lot of, I guess, like with Chicago, with how much effort they put into making it kind of a, in a place. There's, there's so much work goes into um, making it feel grounded and real and like making the family aren't having a great time at the start. Like they're, they're fine, but like they're really mm. working very hard to be fine. And it feels like, yeah, it's very much like a blue collar ghost story. That's what it wants to be. Mm. And then I think the bits that really work against it, for me, a lot of the bits that work against it for, for me are like it, it just goes a bit big with the effects sometimes. Like it's just, yeah. it just feels, some of it's like, oh, that's quite fun, but it gets quite goofy. Like the ghost appearing in the, like, the TV and stuff like that. And she's very blue and obviously, you know, for, for reasons. But yeah, I don't know. Did that kind of pull you out of it at all? The kind of slightly goofy effects? I, I, I sort of quite enjoyed the 90s-ness of it. Um, you know, like right from the beginning, you got like Ileana Douglas turning up and chatting about garbage. And I was like, oh, this, <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely the 90s. Um, the thing that I started to say and then shied away from uh, about watching it like being relevant this week is that it, it feels a lot like it's about male violence yeah. and systemic violence against women like yeah how that murder turns out is so it's really i find it really upsetting actually watching it back like when she is killed um yeah. it, it kind of goes to her pov and it's horrible that was a lot kind of more protracted and upsetting than i remembered it being mm-hmm. I, I think but i also think my memory of watching it i i can't remember what i, I think i rented it or it was on TV, and I don't think I'd ever seen it all the way through before. Right. I think I'd seen up to a certain point. I think I might have like not been in the mood and turned it off because it got too depressing when I watched it as a teenager. And then I went, I think I went back and finished it like another time. Mm. So yeah, I was like, I remember there being a like a really sort of Ugh, like thing about it that really upset me. And I, well, I think it was when you kind of see what direction it's yeah. heading in. Um, I guess one of the things that is very powerful about it, and I guess one of the reasons why it's not really been that kind of mainstreamed is like it there's not really any anything kind of that fun about it like you kind of you see where it's going very quickly because they tell you who the ghost is like yeah about 20 minutes in there's her the babysitter they get a new babysitter whose sister has gone missing because um the little boy who talks to the ghost is um suggests her and yeah she immediately twigs that the little boy is talking to her missing sister and yeah, she's pretty much bang on the money with her assumption about what's happened. So it's just, it's one of those films where you're kind of waiting for everyone to catch up. And you kind of, you kind of twigged a lot of it. Yeah. And you're kind of waiting for, basically for like the answer to be dug, literally kind of dug up. <laughs> but I think while that really annoyed me the first time, like particularly the, uh, specifically the digging up scene, because he sort of finds her by accident because he's just swinging a sledgehammer around and just like mm. accidentally smashes the wall where she is. Um... But I think the thing that struck me this week was was all the really really gendered stuff, just from the way that I think um, I think we've talked about this maybe not on this podcast, but about how there's a tendency for like psychics in films to be women, and it tends to be like women who can see ghosts, and then the, the husband who's like no no no, um, hmm. but obviously that's kind of inverted here. But there's there's something really interesting about how Kevin Bacon's character is it Tom isn't it starts yeah. off as this like yeah super macho like manual labourer. And at the party, he's kind of laughing about not wanting to be hypnotized. You, know, you can't hypnotize me; it's all bollocks, whatever. Uh, and then it, it it works, and he becomes vulnerable because he kind of he cries while he's under hypnotism and admits mm-hmm. to kind of childhood trauma and stuff. And then his connection with the ghost almost kind of feminizes him in a really interesting way because he mm-hmm. then is suddenly like hyper alert to male violence in a way that he wouldn't have been otherwise because he's like this tough guy who's like, you know, shirtless sweaty digging in the garden <laughs> very sort of yeah uh the shining but yeah when when the um when the 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 baddies come round, there's this sense that like they're predatory and he's like the prey yeah. in a way that you i don't i i don't think you see that that often without it the prey being a woman like he kind of connects with the ghost in that like even in a in a um one of the sort of trances he goes into she's kind of stealing his breath and they're like super connected and, and I noticed that something that I really loved is that when he uh, is faced with these guys who he thinks are going to kill him, he picks up a bunch of keys and puts the keys between his fingers, which is like every woman in the world pretty much does that when you're walking home in the dark. But like for, uh, for a, a like tough guy in a horror film to do it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Something 
something interesting is going on here. Yeah, definitely. Just, that's really interesting. I hadn't really. I definitely didn't tweak the uh, the keys bit, but yeah, when they show up, you you like he, he feels vo- he's he's vulnerable, mm. and you were you you're scared for yeah. him. And like when yeah, when like when he's he stops being like one of the guys really yes. quickly because he's like yeah, like you said, like he's hyper aware to like crowds and like like kind of yeah, like danger mm-hmm. kind of being kind of everywhere, and he's worried about the kid. It's just like, yeah, all these is just. Yeah, vul- like really vulnerable and kind of scared a lot of time. And then when he starts like needling, um, like he's like pushing the guys to find out what, like, oh yeah, like what do you remember mm. about um, about this girl? Like he he's kind of immediate, like he's not in the group yes. anymore. He's like really outside of it. Like and Kevin, yeah, Kevin. I feel like it's definitely one of Kevin Bacon's best performances. He's so good in it. In the first sort of few scenes, like even that that kind of. Um... He's quite aggressive when he's talking to his wife's sister about this hypnotism stuff. And there's this, like, real threat in his voice that kind of isn't there after that. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I I thought that the um, portrayal of his wife, who's Maggie, can't remember the actress's name because I'm really bad at names, it turns out. But yes, there there are scenes with her as well where it's really noticeable. So when the, the person who sees The Shining not shining in her kid, he um, approaches her and her son in a graveyard and the way she talks to him is so like it just feels so real like she's very she's immediately on guard um she's sort of being polite but she's absolutely Mm. not kind of trying to keep the conversation going like she's trying to shut it down all the time she's just like so we're allowed to be here right like you're not here to tell us off and then it's like okay well so what like basically what are you doing why are you approaching me why are you being creepy why yeah and then she kind of has to go down a dark alley and (laughs) and go to this um, place by herself to try and figure out what's going on and and all of that you know someone runs past her and she jumps and it's just like this is a film that's really really aware of how scary and hostile the world is to women Hmm. given that like yeah like there's no I didn't I don't remember like any shots of like you know the city of Chicago like the nice bits (laughs) you know sort of like oh like Dodger Stadium or something or it's like it's just those like neighborhoods like the big tall houses and like run to the station or like yeah backyards and basements and like everyone's drunk and sort of everyone's drinking the whole time like looking to get really fucked up and no one's like particularly nice like even like had their friends are dicks to them like it's not a welcoming film no and I think even their relationship at the start, like, and through the film, like, it's difficult. Like, the husband and wife relationship is, like, they're obviously, they obviously love each other very much, but, like, they're obviously having a hard time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of continues throughout. Yeah, it doesn't get better. Because um, initially it's 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 a financial thing. And also the fact that he mm. is sort of chafing against just domestic life because he wants to be in a band and go on tour. Uh, so when she says, yeah, you know, I'm pregnant, he's like, oh, bummer. You're like, it's that's bummer, the yeah. worst reaction. <laughs> yeah, and like, I think the stuff, like, the, the, the stuff with the kids, like, not overdone. There's lots of, like, little gestures, like the bit with the orange juice, where, like, he pours a one because he feels, because like, he knows he should, but then drinks it anyway, just things like that. Just, like, there's all these little gestures and things like just don't feel like they're too much. Mm. Like, there's nothing's kind of hammered in, kind of hammered home. There's like there's bits in it that I didn't think work quite as well as they should have done, but it it does get under your skin like in a really nasty yeah. way. It's it's unpleasant. Yeah. Um. I I I really like the. So again, like yeah, not children talking to ghosts is is frequently like a, an annoying thing in films, like Paranormal Activity, and you're like, for God's sake, like it's not your friend, it's a demon, <laughs> and it's quite. You're like, what are you doing? Stop making friends with it. But like. The, even like the opening scene I think is is the child like addressing the camera as if it is the ghost and that's mm. such a like neat little trick to do that like is he speaks yeah. directly to the camera and you like you know there's nothing there is that when is that that is when he says like that's when he asks the wall like he's looking I think it's not like addressing the camera anymore but like he's in the bath by himself and Kevin Bacon leaves and he goes does it hurt to be dead <laughs> does it hurt to be dead <laughs> I did find that the the uh, resolution of the ghosts um, like fate, I guess, like a little bit weird in that, like she sort of rewinds so that the the assault is undone, mm. and then she like walks into a car and disappears. <laughs> it's almost like that kind of that shot of like backing into the road and getting hit by a bus that we love so much. But because she's a ghost, that <laughs> like, obviously doesn't hit her. But like she does, literally, she like yeah. walks out into the middle of the road and a car goes through her and she evaporates. <laughs> like odd. Yeah, that feels like that whole sequence did feel a bit like. I think like a lot of the ghost tricks, like they were a bit too keen on the technology that they were using. Yeah. Like we're going to do this and it's going to look great. That's a very nineties thing. It does look good, but then, like, and she's good. Jennifer Morrison playing the the dead girl. But yeah, I think it's just much more effective when 
it's stuff like when uh, the wife is played by Catherine Irby is is talking about how it's just her husband and her son sort of a formless weird alliance mm. like where like she's definitely not a part of it and they're just tr- trying to talk to each other about their talking to ghosts and like, he's he's just trying to get more details out of the son and the son's just sort of like no because it's going to upset yes. my uh. um, <laughs> and it's just this kind of like weird massively dysfunctional family unit but then some of it yeah some of the ghost stuff is quite fun but yeah it just feels like more like it's showing off in a way that the rest of the film isn't yeah there. and i think that's why it shows its age as well like Mm. that kind of stuff especially when you're trying to be kind of cutting edge or whatever that's when it really shows that you're from the past (laughs) (laughs) there is a bit where someone says like this is as we approach the year of our lord 2000 and i was like oh there we go (laughs) yes because i wrote down like millennial anxiety question mark and and i actually don't (laughs) think (laughs) (laughs) i actually don't don't really think that that is unless it is unless it's about you know unless there's i guess there's a um degree of sort of like trying to bury your crimes in the past but but it's only been six months since the murder so it's like recent past (laughs) yeah i guess it's sort of like you know decay of family values isn't it like because the everything that's going on with the the sons of the two families is incredibly bleak yes Um, incredibly bleak but i i just i think it's just so interesting how the character of tom is like goes on a fascinating journey to me in this film because like he is one of those guys and you can imagine if the roles were reversed he probably would have done the same thing because he he is mm. that guy and like yeah protecting his kid would have been his priority but yeah yeah he's open he has had his mind opened that i I do really love the the hypnotism sequence actually hypnotism sequence is great yeah, I love that cinema bit. I, yeah, the visuals of that where it's, it just kind of keeps changing as she's talking, where she's like, you're in a cinema, and then it's like it's sort of a modern cinema, and she's like, it's a grand old picture palace, and then like the got red curtains, and then, yeah, the, the seats are black, and then they all go from red. I love that. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> I don't know why I was just so easily delighted by things, but that, that was delightful. Also, another thing that I kind of wrote down and then just didn't really figure out what I thought about it was like everyone's constantly talking about sex in this film. Mm. That's any the only thing that like any of them talk to their friends or their sister about like constantly. Yeah, I guess it's like it's not a film where anyone talks about their feelings. Like, <laughs> no. Because they laugh, they all laugh at Kevin Bacon, at um, Tom for crying when he's under, and then he's like, and like, even like it takes his wife like a little while to realize that he's really not okay. Mm. Like afterwards they'd like have sex that night. And then he's the one who says like, it feels like you're attacking me. Oh God, I'd forgotten about that line. Yeah. Oh, Ooh. yeah. yeah. I feel, it feels like I was being attacked. Yeah. Um, oh, that's making my skin crawl thinking about that. Yeah. Oh, uh, we should also talk about the tooth bit, which is absolutely oh. There's a tooth good. bit and a fingernail <laughs> bit thrown in as well, for good measure, in case you weren't horrified enough by what was going on. What a nasty film. It is It is a nasty film. And yeah, I think I just appreciated it more this time around because of the confronting all that gender stuff in a, in, a, in a way that was interesting and not something I could think of happening in any other film. It must do, but I can't think of it. That really hadn't occurred to me. Which, yeah, it's really interesting. I think... I definitely got more out of it watching it now than I did as a teenager. I think as a teenager, I was a bit like, Ghost looks a bit lame. Yeah. It's just really grim and like nasty. And then watching it now, I was like, as an adult, you kind of, yeah, there's so much more going on with those like family dynamics and how sad it all is and just depressing. I, d- I definitely think that's the difference between watching a film as a teenager and watching it as an adult, though. Is like, when you are a teenager, you're kind of just looking for the thrill, right? You just want the ghosts. Mm. Like, even something like Candyman, like, I feel like I watched completely different as a, as a teenager. Yeah. Like, for sure. You, so much of it you just don't understand or you, you just don't have the life experience. And also, like, the fact that a lot of these films are films where the, the, the main characters are adults. Mm. So, like, yeah, I think that's a, there's a sort of split in the sort of fun slashery things where uh, the main characters are kids and then these films where they're, they're adults and it's doing something different. Definitely. Just think about Stereo Records. Like, it's like there's there's such a difference. Like, I know it's, it's interesting that... Um... I think Stereo Records got reappraised after a few years after Sixth Sense came out because they just got kind of wiped out by Sixth Sense making all this money. And Stereo Records is one where I think it was like a bit of a sleeper thing. And I think there definitely were critics who really liked it at the time, but it's been one of those ones where it always gets talked about, oh, that film that everyone missed at the time. But you can see, I do think, like, you think about Sixth Sense and it's got all these kind of warm, yeah, Spielberg-y feelings. It's like a lot, so much emotional resolution. It's safe, isn't it? It is. It's completely safe, yeah. And then Stereo Records is like, oh, no, that's grubby and grimy and just really sad. And this is what happens in cities. <laughs> like, and this is what happens everywhere. 
I was thinking I was because it's part. I think I'd written kind of mean in my notes, and I don't know if it is mean if as much as it is just kind of uh, bleak. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it is it is mean necessarily because I think it has sympathy for its main characters, mm. um, and it certainly doesn't like look to inflict pain on them for our entertainment. I don't think. No, I'd agree. But it is kind of quite. Um, yeah, maybe just bleak. It's quite raw. It's quite kind of confrontational almost. I suppose. Also, um, just as a kind of a final note, Stir of Echoes is a great title. I mean, yeah. well done, Richard Matheson, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> it is a brilliant title. Okay, so finally, The Others, which uh, came out almost two years to the day after The Sixth Sense, but very much feels like it fits in with the theme of this podcast. Because, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's about a family in a house. <laughs> 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 and there are some ghosts. And there's a unexpected conclusion. And they talk about the location. The location's important. It is important, yeah, because it's set in, in Jersey, isn't it? So it's um, mm-hmm. the, so the main timeline is 1945, where Nicole Kidman and her two photosensitive children are living in a spooky house in Jersey, where the husband and father has gone away to the war, and they've been left to kind of try and stay not Nazi-occupied while keeping their curtains closed at all times to keep out the light. <laughs> and... Yeah, then then they start seeing other people in their home. Some mysterious servants turn up who may or may not be what they seem, and everything gets a bit creepy. <laughs> in in a really like fun gothic haunted house way, which we love, or I love. Yeah. <laughs> That's no, what we definitely. want. Give me a haunted gothic mansion, I'll be happy. <laughs> this one's really bleak and dark as well, though, isn't it? Like it's this. It feels like there's a little yeah. bit more fun to it, maybe, but also it is extremely dark. It is and darker than I'd remembered. I don't think we can really go into this one without having a massive spoiler warning. Yeah. So if you've not seen the others, then go and watch it. We it's can't really, really good. Talk about. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Loved it. Um, <laughs> holds up. Still holds up. But yeah, the the resolution is. I had forgotten quite an important part of the ending. I remembered the big part. Same. Um, but I had had forgotten. <laughs> yeah, the, yes. Oh my god, it's really upsetting. <laughs> what? Like, am I just? It's, it's, I don't know because like I don't have kids, and I feel like if I did, all these films would wreck me even more than they already do. <laughs> Maybe that's why so many of my friends who are parents don't watch horror movies anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, we're going to go spoilers, aren't we? So, so oh, I don't know where to start. <laughs> so Nicole Kidman and her kids think that maybe there are some ghosts in their house. Maybe the servants are ghosts. Maybe there are some other ghosts. Mm. Turns out they are the ghosts. And the other people are actually some people who are doing a seance in the house and trying to contact them, um, which is a really neat reversal. And there's lots of neat little things in this film like that. Like mm. even the fact that it's light that's a threat and not the dark. Like normally it's you're afraid of the dark, but here yeah. everything has to be dark to be safe. And, and if they get in the light, then bad things will happen. They'll get sick and possibly die. I don't. I. I wish. I wish I could see it without knowing the ending. Hmm. I don't. I think with the sixth sense, like I managed to have a bit of that. I was. I was suspicious, but <laughs> managed to kind of be a little bit surprised. Whereas this one, I think I knew the twist before. Ah, okay. Before I ever saw it, which is very sad. <laughs> I did not. I, yeah, I went in. Um, I think I saw it. I remember it got really good reviews when it came out. So I remember there being a lot of hype about mm. it, and I didn't know the ending when I went to see it. Um, yeah, and it was a big oh shit. Like it was all, I remember it almost kind of being it being really jarring because I just hadn't twigged. I I was so convinced that it was the new servants, uh, the th- the three servants who have a lot of conversations away from the main family, talking about sort of like oh you know do you, do you think she's realised what's going on? We might have to move her along a bit and stuff like <laughs> that. And sort of, might have to hurry her up if she doesn't get kind of get moving. Yeah, it, it was a real shock, the ending. And I think, like, even now it's executed so well. Where it basically, they kind of walk, go into a different room. They go into a room and there's lots of people there. And they're having a seance. And, yeah, it's just such a nasty shock. And I think one of the things I really love about it, and it like, feels like we're starting at the end, weirdly, mm-hmm. but I love that it's not present day, the seance. I mm. love that it's just a bit later. It feels yes. like it's in the 50s or something. It does just make it feel... I think one of the things I really love about it is that it does feel so timeless mm. like it does feel like it could be made at any 
any point. I feel like a lot of that's just to do with like the way that they made Nicole Kidman look and sort of act in the film. Like she's definitely playing it like a kind of a sixties haunted house movie, like a black and white. Can you imagine how amazing this film would be if they'd made it in black and white? Because it is all about like light and darkness. You could do Mm. some amazing stuff with that. I mean, it looks, it looks great anyway, but like, (laughs) but I love my sixties black and white. It's all about fog. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It would look incredible. Oh, well, um, we don't have that. But yes, the thing the thing that we're, again, we're skirting around like when these things are too upsetting, we don't want to look at them directly. Um, the, the sort of the bit of the twist that I didn't remember was that the reason they're all dead is because Nicole Kidman, the mother, has, has killed them. Which is, yeah, just fucking horrible. Yeah, it's really bleak. And I think the fact that they just all kind of choose to stay there and that it is their house, even though she's done this awful thing. That they just kind of all like that's just how it works, and like you know, other people might come, and then we'll get rid of them as well. We'll kind of scare them off too. Yeah, um, it's very like Beetlejuice. Like, Beetle, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a sad, sad Beetlejuice. Yes, but there's there's some parts where she's talking about um yeah she hasn't had any visitors and she can't leave and this this fog is all around the house and how isolated she feels, which again I think maybe kind of hit harder right now. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I haven't seen anyone either. <laughs> Maybe I'm a ghost. <laughs> she plays that so well. The you know she's kind of sharp throughout the film, and she's very harsh on her kids. Mm. And, but you kind of you kind of understand. It does a great job of making you think. Oh well, it's just because you know she's been having a very hard time, and she's stuck in this huge house all alone with her two kids. While her husband, who knows what's happened to him, so yeah, understandably, she's having like she's kind of at the end of her rope. And there's just all those little kind of moments later on. You kind of realize, oh, maybe she is just like not very nice. <laughs> I think that's harsh. I think she is. I think you're right in your first instinct to be sort of sympathetic in the like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she 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 kind of kills them out of like grief and desperation and madness. Yeah. It sort of it reminds me of the Mike Flanagan Hill House rather than yes. Shirley Jackson's Hill House, but um, in that that how idea that like like just a, I guess that a mother's love can turn deadly um it's just a really upsetting idea isn't it because that's supposed to be kind of yeah. the person that can look after you the best but like yeah yeah i guess the fact that the, <laughs> the fact that these kids have this weird illness that she has to deal with like is adding pressure onto the, an already mm. stressful situation and like the stuff where she's kind of screaming at her husband or possibly the ghost of her husband why like why did you go to war why did you leave us like mm. you your responsibility was to us and this war had nothing to do with you um yeah and yeah just this like portrait of a woman who's just completely desperate and messed up and i think nicole kidman's amazing in it oh she yeah she's absolutely incredible i do i, I remember being very struck by um christopher eccleston and as well yeah. the first time and he's he's so like he's he's only in it for about 10 or 15 minutes but he's perfect and just that i think yeah because he's the fighter pilot who's gone off to the war and he pitches up at a crucial point in the film when she's just starting to believe that there might be ghosts yeah. in the house. So she's beginning to believe her kids when she, they're talking about there are others. Um, and then suddenly he returns and is very distant and off. And he's not kind of unpleasant. He's just kind of clearly not really there. Like he's just sort of like he's still thinking about the war and he's kind of shell-shocked or whatever. Yeah. And I think watching it again, knowing the twist, is there's something really just beautifully sad about the idea that he's just kind of wafted in on the fog. And sort of, he's died somewhere else and has kind of come back because that's what he feels like he ought to do, but doesn't, he's kind of still stuck somewhere else yeah. and kind of has to, he has, like, he tells, it, tells her that he's going back to the front even though the war's over. And he's like putting his boots on and stuff and it's just kind of, an off he goes again. And he's just kind of, is he going to repeat that cycle as well? Like kind of come back a bit later on because he's caught somewhere. It's such a, like, brilliant yeah, and it's a timeless thing. Like that feels like almost like a Paul and Pressburger kind of ghost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're very, they're very, very classic ghosts, aren't they? Like they're properly mm. like, yeah, you can imagine them being in a Victorian ghost story or something. Obviously, yeah, it wouldn't be the Second World War, but um, <laughs> but but yeah, you could that it's that that very you know because ghost stories are sad. Like of course they are. I mean, we're we're mm. here looking for for thrills and jump scares, but um. But yeah, this is just so desperately sad. Mm. I like it does have like a little bit of mischief as well, like with the servants. Like there's that amazing bit where she yeah. um, goes into the garden and asks them if they can search for a graveyard on the on the property, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll do." And they're like merrily like shoveling leaves over the top of the gravestones. Yeah, gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's just a lovely bit of misdirection as well because you're thinking. Oh, like they're hiding the gravestones of whoever the ghosts are. Like there's another family mm. that's maybe died in this place, but 
but it's their I think it's their own gravestones, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's um it's his, I think, isn't it? I could be wrong. I think you see you see a, a few different gravestones uh in the course because the kids that's that there's another amazing bit where like yeah the the older girl has been teasing the younger boy about ghosts and then what they do to you and how you know ghosts have sheets over them and they do this that and the other and whatever and he's kind of getting really fed up of it and then when they're outside in the fog and you think the servants are the baddies um and they're kind of saying like come to us and yeah and you don't know what he's gonna do is he gonna go to his sister is he gonna be scared of the ghost oh i don't know it's really fun yeah, when he's like shouting, like, no, they're not ghosts. Like, ghosts have sheets. It's like, no, they don't. <laughs> and then he just twigs and starts running. Yeah, it's brilliant. They're so good. Yeah, the look, the, the kids are good. And I think it's Fionella, I never know how to pronounce her name. Uh, Fionella Flanagan. Yeah, as uh, yeah, the head. So she's so good. She's got that, but she's got that twinkle of just sort of like, you know that she knows what's going on right from the start and you're just waiting to see like, how yeah. she plays it how do you how do you read that like why are they there are they there to kind of ease nicole kidman's ghost into acknowledging reality or, or... it feels almost like a, like they're they're there because the situation's got out of hand like it feels like they're trying to bring like control mm. back to it so maybe it is yeah it feels like they're there to kind of kind of snap her out of whatever like maybe she's kind of got too far back into thinking that everything's normal and that maybe they've forgotten yeah. that they're dead and there's like oh no the situation needs to be dealt with and they're sort of like housekeeping kind of come <laughs> in to like sort this out ghostly housekeeping they arrive when the others do don't they that's kind of maybe they're, they're sent there because other, other people are coming so they need to be like okay well the, these everyone else needs to be on it yeah i love i love just little things that you don't really if you don't know the twist, you don't necessarily uh, twig what they're about. Like when the girl says um, that they see an old lady more than the others and that she keeps asking them questions. And then like, obviously that's like mm. the medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> just just little things. I really love this film. Um, it is sad and super upsetting, but I think of the three that we're talking about today, like this is the one I would save from a fire. <laughs> it definitely feels like the most complete, I think, mm. of all the movies. And there's... I feel like it has more personality than The Sixth Sense, and it feels like it kind of it's a bit neater, maybe. I think part of it is the the just the gothic aesthetic, like it's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and there's all that you know. The Sixth Sense is all about uh, making you not look for a twist. It's kind of distracting other things, whereas the others, like there's so many, like yeah, like you said, there's, there's mischief to it. Like and yeah, like all the discussion about purgatory and mm. stuff like that, and you think they're like. They're talking about um, the Nazis and the Allies, like the Nazis are the baddies, and like, how yeah. do you know, like, you're a baddie or a goodie? And then obviously, like, <laughs> what she's yeah. done is, <laughs> yeah, or, or or like the that I think it might even be in that conversation where they say like, well, what if I see a ghost? She kind of says like, stay there and do your homework or whatever, and she, they're like, what if we mm. see a ghost? And she's like, then you'll say hello and carry on studying. <laughs> it's just so fun. I like it so much. That's oh, brilliant. Because <laughs> this was a huge success as well, like, um, unlike Star of Echoes. The others made uh, about 200 million. Wow. Partly like the Nicole Kidman effect, but I think also because it's one of those films that everyone was talking about. Like, I think it was really well received and um, did seem like it hit kind of mm. hit a good time for, for kind of ghost stories. Yeah, I don't really know how I missed this one at the time, but like, I, I don't remember the dis- sort of discourse around it at all. Like, were people relating it to The Sixth Sense at the time? Like, I feel like it must have been because the twist is so similar superficially. I think so yeah I remember there being a lot of discussion about the ending that I've tried quite hard to avoid <laughs> yeah I think it was compared to Sixth Sense quite a bit but I can't remember to come to, to quite what extent yeah I think because oh, like Tom Cruise produced it and I couldn't remember when Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman divorced so I think it might have also been yeah. a very newsy time for Nicole Kidman but yeah and like Alejandro Amanaba is not like someone who's made a lot of horror movies I made the sea inside after this, which is beautiful, very sad film, but it's, it's definitely not. It's a based on a true story about guys paralysed from the neck down. Oh, a thing I hadn't thought about and that we should think about in future episodes as well is that it's technically Spanish, this film. I think it's an English-Spanish co-production. Yeah, it does feel like it could definitely be in a conversation with uh, The Orphanage and Devil's Backbone. Um, I think there are... Yeah, it's like we were talking about with Fight Club. There seems like there are other movies in the sort of early 2000s that had that sort of gotcha because i remember at the time being just really being really furious about all these signs that yeah someone wasn't real (laughs) or like just being really frustrated (laughs) with it just like come on it's like it's like saying it was all a dream it's just not a fun twist anymore yeah i know that does and it does i assume it like the sixth sense had an awful lot to do with yeah but you kind of everyone got very kind of literate about (laughs) what the 
the process was of, of putting together a film where um, <laughs> someone wasn't there or someone was a ghost. And yeah, the others kind of feels like it's got one foot in that, but it's it doesn't feel like a film that's entirely set up yeah. around the twist. Like you said, it feels like it's, yeah, almost like a precursor to some of those very sad Spanish ghost stories. If it had come out in the middle of the J-horror beam, I wouldn't really have... I would have been like, oh, well, of course. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense this would come out between The Ring and, um, I don't know, Taylor Two Sisters or something. Which I think it did technically in terms of the originals, but, I mean, yeah, I don't think anyone would have been. But it does come out in the in the it's sort of in the middle of, like, well, after kind of House on Haunted Hill, so you've kind of got your kind of gothic remakes are coming back that we've already covered, so, like, the haunting and stuff, so you've got that element, and then you start bringing in the twists. And then we're going to do lots mm. more ghosts in this decade. Well, yeah. actually, I think we're going to sort of segue into demons rather than ghosts, but same sort of um, idea. But yeah, we'll uh, deal with that when we get there. <laughs> I guess also, like, just the others just feel also like it's part of a, a studio, a prestige mm. horror movie, like The Sixth Senses. I think that's what another thing that they have in common is they feel um, very polished and ready for awards consideration. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, um, in a way that, I guess, a lot of Naughty's horror doesn't. This, yeah. this feels, I guess part of it is because it feels so classical and it's so well made, but both this, like, I think this is DreamWorks maybe and Miramax and Tom Cruise's production company. But yeah, and The Sixth Sense is Disney and yeah, they, they feel like no no studio would be ashamed of, of releasing The Sixth Sense or the others. They wouldn't hide no. it. No, I mean, I think part of the of the divide that we're about to stumble into is, is September 11th happening. Like, yes. Things are not going to be the same after that, but we're still at this point with like the others in a time where yeah you could have these very big studio horror films, lots of money, and expect to make lots of money because audiences were up for it. Hmm. That's a very dark note to end on. <laughs> I guess I guess one of the things about um, kind of studio horror movies becoming less frequent is that they do sort of feel a bit more chaotic when they pop up. Mm. And obviously, there's, there's so much more. Going, we're going to be talking about kind of yeah, not not studio released, kind of lots of independent things, but also I kind of have like I, I'm looking forward to talking about like studio attempts at cashing in on popular trends, just because I, I, mm. they're not like they're not going to be as good as the others. But I do feel like there's there's always something quite fascinating about like people throwing money at a problem, and then I don't yes. think any of these ones we talked about had that really as an issue. But yeah, the chaos of just like oh, like it will work if we just kind of I don't know put some CGI in it. <laughs> it never does no <laughs> okay so next time we don't know what we're talking about but it'll be some more movies and we maybe will finally <laughs> stop being in 1999 I yeah I think so I think we are finally leaving 1999 at this one yeah there, are there any other horror movies in 1999 I hope not <laughs> we can like put off getting into like 2003 <laughs> yeah if we can just get past sort of 2004 <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. We will see. No promises. Uh, yeah. So in the meantime, while we figure out what our next episode is, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Chillennial H Pod. And yeah, we'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>